Kelly. Again, to remind us that we are gospel people, and we're living for a different kingdom than this kingdom. So, um, sometimes you just have to let a cat out of the bag just to kind of diffuse some things, right? I, I, I like wearing tropical print you know, shirts like this. And my daughter said, you know, Dad, those red flowers in there look like coronaviruses. <laughs> so if, if that's you, just kind of get that thought out of your mind right now. Just eliminate that. So that's not there because we've got more important fish to fry. We're going to continue our series about being gospel people. And um, as Kelly mentioned in this prayer, we live in a, a time where we're hearing so many different messages, so many different voices, right? From so many me different mediums, right? Whether that's the internet, television, the news cycle, uh, maybe old, the old-fashioned way, if you still read the newspaper or uh, magazines, what have you. Um, from so many different voices, right? Celebrities, athletes, entertainers, politicians, physicians, pastors, pagans, what have you. I mean, you're getting all perspectives. It's just coming out. And all sorts of topics, right? From gun control to the environment, um, you know, politics, obviously, and, and just so many different things. And it's just coming at you, and it just can make your head spin, right? And it just is overwhelming. And the question is, as gospel people, what voices should we be listening to? What should be shaping us and what we think? how we behave, what is in our heart. Again, because as Kelly mentioned, we're, we're living for a different kingdom, a coming kingdom. And so today, that's what we're going to be looking at. What are gospel people shaped by? And so, what is shaping us? Or more importantly, who is shaping us? So let me pray, and then we will go ahead and get into today's sermon. Lord, uh, we are your gospel people and already we know the answer. We, we want you to be shaping us. We want to be your people in every sense of the word. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So come now. Use your Holy Spirit. Empower me to bring your word and edit out anything that's not of you. But help us to hear from you today. That's what we want to do today, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Memorized in the NASB. I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
offer up my body as a living sacrifice? Why would I want to do that? That's what our world would say. It makes no sense. Indeed, we have a world, in contrast, that really is seeking to kind of shove us into its mold, push us, shape us, and it is often influenced by a spiritual influence. The God of this age, that is Satan or the devil, who's in rebellion against the God who actually made this world. Yes, I guess you could say that Satan is the God of this world, but he's not the God who made this world. As the, as the hymn has said earlier, this is my father's world. So Satan is a usurper, but he's trying to influence rebellion against the true king. So you got the devil there. And this world appeals to our flesh oftentimes, doesn't it? To what I want. To curb any desire that I have. That's, that's oppressive. That's antiquated thinking. And on a worldwide level, it has systems. Be they social, political, educational, even religious that seek to eliminate or minimize or bring anything in suspect, a belief or action that's in contrast with the prevailing culture. That's not what people think about that issue. But what we learn from the children of Israel and their dealings with the golden calf, that just because a majority of people believe something or support something does not mean that it's right or true. But this passage calls for a transformation and a renewal of our minds. But how? How is the question. So number one, gospel people are shaped by God's word. And I know you all know that. But that's, that's one of the things that shapes us. It is God's word breathed to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, every religion has its own scriptures. I mean, having scriptures is not unique to Christianity. But what is unique is the Bible itself, the scriptures. 66 books, I'm sure you're familiar with some of these things. 40 different authors who, who probably didn't know each other, written on three different continents, in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic over 1,500 years, and yet there is a congruent, consistent story of what God is doing. It's historical. It's not like Narnia. It's not some made-up world. It's the real world, real kings, real times. And some say, well, it's just the words of man, just made-up words of man. And yet if you look at how God has protected his word over the centuries, it is amazing. You know, if we look at our ancient manuscripts, 
of ancient texts we have, the Bible has just hand over fist tons and tons of more manuscripts than any other ancient document. You know, the only thing that comes close to it is the Iliad. There are only 600 manuscripts of that. We have tons and tons of manuscripts. And this document has been scrutinized, studied, criticized over the years. And we've done a really good job of trying to weed out what we think might have been added and what was in the originals. We don't have the originals, but I think we've got a pretty good copy. God has protected His Word. It has has stood the test of time, and it has not been proved false. It is God's breathed Word to us. And it's a major way that He reveals Himself to us. How He speaks to us. How He tells us what He wants us to know about Himself. About ourselves. How He wants us to live. How He wants us to think. what he wants us to be aiming our lives toward. So it's useful, number one, for teaching. Useful for teaching. God made us. He made us in his image, male and female. We are the crown of his creation. And he called us to give stewardship, give dominion over this world. And if you know the rest of the narrative... We as a, as a race chose to rebel against God, to do our own thing, and we've been separated from Him, and now the rest of the story is His rescue mission to us. God has a lot to say and teach us about Himself and about us. Now, I, I want to say it doesn't cover all subjects, right? If you're an eye surgeon, it doesn't tell you how to do eye surgery, but it certainly tells you who created that eye. And so, it's useful for teaching. It's also useful for rebuking. You see, when I start treating others who are made in God's image with contempt, or denigration, or denying the dignity of that image, whether I agree with them or not, whether they're close to me or not, whether they're part of my family or not, it rebukes me. You see, as a husband, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church, whether she's lovable or not. And there are lots of times she's lovable, trust me. There are those moments Maybe I'm not so lovable. I'm called to raise my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But not to exasperate them. That is to withhold affection or blessing from them because they're not meeting my expectations. Let me tell you, my friends, there are a lot of adult children out there with some parent wounds because they never received the blessing of their parents. It was always withheld. It was always held back. So it rebukes us. And when we pollute or dilute 
the Word of God. It has negative effects even then. I just want to share with you a failure of the early American church and not to throw the bride of Christ under the bus. But here's what happened. When we started bringing African slaves to the United States, Christians did so for economic gain. They bought somebody, made them their forever slave, life to death, in order for their own economic gain, which was the influence of this world. Now many of them were pagans. They had no idea about the Christian faith. And so we were quick to share with them the curse of Ham found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, where Noah actually cursed not Ham but Canaan, one of Ham's four sons, because he had seen Noah when he was naked and drunk. So this was supposedly something to kind of help the African slaves understand why they were in such a terrible place, why they were being treated so terribly because it was the curse that came upon them. This is what the church did. But they were a little slow or maybe negligent to point out the transforming truth that in Christ there is no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female, that all are one in Christ. As Galatians 3.28 says, doesn't that change things if my slave, who's now in Christ, is actually my brother or my sister? Doesn't that change how I treat them? How I relate to them? It's one of the reasons why many slaves were kept illiterate, not allowed to read, because they might actually discover that, might actually ask about that. Hey, how does the Word of God work in that relationship? You know, I think some of that damage that's done is kind of visiting us today. That we kept that, the full truth of the gospel from those brothers and sisters. And maybe there's some resentment today. That doesn't negate the gospel. It doesn't negate Christianity, but it is a cautionary tale not to neglect the whole truth the whole gospel of God's word and allowing ourselves to be shaped by this world for our own gain. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's useful for correcting. When we start somehow believing that we are the measure of what is all right and what is true, and I, I, I need to fully understand this before I can obey it. I, I don't get this. What I, I need to honor the marriage bed, not have sex before marriage or outside of marriage, keep it pure. Why? 
We love each other. What? Looking at a woman with lust is equating to, to adultery? That, that can't be. I, I'm not really hurting anyone. It's just me viewing an image. What? Tell the truth? Even when no one's looking? Be honest? Even when no one's looking? It's, if I don't get caught, what's the big deal? Don't take vengeance. In fact, turn the other cheek. When someone has hurt me, injured me, if I don't do it, if I don't get vengeance, who will? Who will? And folks, I, I know there are plenty of rational explanations for why each one of those things should be obeyed, but that's not the point. The point is, do we trust ourselves? Do I trust myself? Or do I trust the God who made me, who loves me, for whom nothing is too difficult? And this is a verse that so many of us have memorized. But if we leaned into it and actually lived into it, it would change how we experience life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. You do not have to know exactly how this works out in order to obey it. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. You see, when we do this, we acknowledge that He knows best. That His way is best, and He is able to accomplish what is best, even though I cannot see it, even though I cannot figure it out. My trust is not in my own understanding, it's in the Lord. And folks, if we will live into that, it will, it will bless us and keep us from a lot of heartache as well. We need the correction of His Word. Don't trust yourself. Trust Him. It's useful for training in righteousness in a world that's crying out for justice and what is right. And by the way, that's actually a good thing. It means there's still, even though we are marred in the image of God, it's still not completely destroyed. Where did that sense of justice come from? It comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. But a world that's crying out for justice, unfortunately, what is proposed by human, human solutions oftentimes amount to foolishness. Whether that's a cry for disbanding order and just letting things fall into anarchy, or reversal of wealth and power, both of these solutions ignore the fact that maybe we need to lean into what God and what He says. And we also ignore that man's issue with sin and the destructive results that it brings. We could reverse all the roles in the world and it would not reverse injustice in this world. It would just put the shoe on the other foot. If we as gospel people want to do what is right, 
then we need to be anchored in God's Word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm putting it in my heart. Folks, I just want to show you something. I'm a pastor. I'm in God's word every day. I'm studying it. You know what I've got? I've got this set of ratty-tattied verses that I meditate on because I need to ground myself in God's Word every day. Because I'm tempted to go lean on my own understanding. I'm tempted to do my things my way. I'm tempted to do things the world's way. And so when I go walking and praying, I pull these out. I don't necessarily go through all of them in one walk, but boy, I, I try and ground myself there. Say, this is, this is truth. This is life. This is your truth to me, God, and how I ought to live. I want to hide your word in my heart. I want to be living according to it. Not only that I won't sin against you, but that I actually be living out what you are calling me to do. Both in my actions and my attitude. I want to align them both up with him. And so I want to be a man like Micah 6, 8. So that, as God says, he's shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, that you do act justly and you love mercy. You walk humbly with God. I want to live in the light of Romans 12, 21. This says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's so much, you know, when I open this, when I open this box here of what we were shaped by, I mean, I could say so much. It could be really a sermon in itself. Actually, every point I have could be a sermon in itself. God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's the sword of the spirit in which we do battle with our spiritual enemy. You know, when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, when he dealt with the devil, what happened? He quoted Scripture. He quoted the truth. It guides us. But ultimately, it again tells us where our hope really is. Where our strength really comes from. What our true hope is. Or who he is. And again, as we look at God's Word, it's not just taking in information. It ought not be that. It's not just facts. It's God's love letter to you, to me. And it's a starting point for me to engage Him and Him to engage me. Because, again, it's God's Word and it was given by God, a person. So next... Gospel people are shaped by God Himself. Gospel people are shaped by God Himself. Now I know this is the Captain Obvious answer, right? God made you, and He's still making you. He made you, and He's still making you. And that starts with your makeup, moves to your setup, to your shakeup. And then your take-up. Alright? 
First, your makeup. How God made you. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14. You, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, fully well. There's no one like you. There is no one like you. God made you unique. And I know that sounds like a self-esteem seminar, right? But it is true. Your hair, your eye color, your personality, how you are wired, how you think, whether you're artsy, whether you're logical, whether you're you know, a person that is an extrovert, whether you're an introvert, God has made you fearfully and wonderfully. It is an amazing thing. It's even a reason to praise God. So when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, be convinced that God has made a masterpiece in you. He did not make a mistake. He did not make a mistake. But that's, those are the starting cards you have. How God wired you. How He equipped you. Whether you're an athlete, whether you're musical, whether you're a combination thereof. So you got your makeup. Next is your setup. That is the time, the place, the experiences that God allows and brings into your life. Acts 17.26 For one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What you have experienced is unique. Bob Scott is from Pennsylvania. That shapes him for who he is. I'm from California. That shapes me. Every one of us, our education, the experiences we had, the family we were born into, the education, the, the socioeconomic things, all those things are the setup that you have in order to go forward into what God has for you in, shaking, in, in shaping you. And then next is the shake-up. The shakeup. That is the pain, the trials, the things that you have had to endure and go through. Psalm 71 verses 20 through 21. Though you have made me see, you made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of, of the earth. You will bring again, <laughs> bring me up and you will increase my honor and comfort me once more. And the hurts and the trials and the adversity that you have experienced in your life I think will shape you more than any blessing or success that you experience. It will shape you more than any blessing or success that you experience. And what brings these trials about is variable, right? It could be our own foolishness where we just did our own thing, contrary to, to good advice, and we're suffering the consequences. Sometimes it's the selfishness of another. We're suffering at the hand of their power or their authority over us or what they brought into their life. Sometimes it's just sheer bad luck. The tree fell in the house. 
in the storm. There was no ill intent by a person. And you may say, and what bothers me the most is I was doing everything right. I had my, I was trying to do everything right in God's eyes. I had my, my life aligned with that. And it's hard stuff. It's hard stuff. Loss of a job, an unfair boss, loss of your health, death of a loved one, divorce, a difficult marriage, financial setback, a wayward child, and the list could go on and on and on. And this is oftentimes where we wrestle with God. God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? Do you care? Have you abandoned me? Or even this thought, is God even there? Is He even there? And this is the place where we do wrestle with God. And I don't want to be too cliche. But these trials will either make us better or bitter. They will either make us better or bitter. To trust and hold on to the one maybe whose hand you cannot see right now. Do you trust who he is, his heart? Because God never wastes anything, especially pain. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing. And you may go, okay, pastor, I've read that many times. It's been decades. I've been going through this trial, through this grind, and I'm sick and tired. And by the way, I, don't, I have no idea why. Why did you bring this, God? What are you doing? If there is any God. And folks, I don't want to minimize any suffering or hurt that you've gone through. You know, Proverbs 14.10 says that every heart has its own bitterness and no one can share in its joy. Be careful when you say, I know exactly what you're going through. It may be similar, but it's everyone is unique. Everyone is unique. But here's what I've learned. And I'm 55 now, and my hair is getting whiter. I was reminded by that of a little boy in the pool this weekend. Look, there's a man with a white hair, Dad. And I'm, that really happened to me. So. In trials, you do not always get the why. 
You do not always get the why, but you do, if you lean into him, you get God. In trials, you don't always get the why, but if you lean into him, you get God. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I will tell you, my friends, I have sensed God's nearness and closeness more in my heartache and in my sorrow than I have in my blessing. I guess part of it is sharing in the sorrows of Christ, but it it's there that God has been very near and dear to me when everything is removed and that's all I have. He makes himself known. And I don't enjoy that process. But I've enjoyed the sweetness of his presence in those moments. You know, if you read the story of Job, a man who's upright, and God allows a ton of hardship to come his way. And he's searching, God, why? He never gets it. But at the end, you know what he gets? He gets God. And he knows him so much more deeply than he did before. You see, God allows trials and they're meant to shape us. Because of the, his love for his child. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, and then on to verse 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone goes, undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Verse 11. No, discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It's not for nothing. He has a purpose to shape you and to equip you for righteousness and peace. And then next is what I call the take-up. What you are equipped uniquely to do in what you can do and who you can reach. Because God has taken all those things and put them together and given you a unique place to reach, to minister, to serve. Think of Joseph. At age 17, being sold into slavery. He didn't get a graduation party, did he? Sold into slavery by his own brothers. Sold to a, a, a captain of the guard, Potiphar. Falsely accused by his wife. Thrown into jail for 13 years. Languishing there. But it was there that God raised him up to make him vice Pharaoh. Not only to, to raise him up, just to raise him up, but to save his people. To save salvation history. Joseph is God's instrument to save the seed of Abraham. Moses, <laughs> on the other end of that story, right? Forty years in Pharaoh's house. 
to protect God's leader. Then thrown out in the wilderness for 40 years to show that, no, Moses, the training you received in Pharaoh's house is not how I'm going to lead. It's more like leading sheep. That's what it's going to be like. And then 40 years of leading God's people hand to mouth. You know, as I, as I talk to people about, about this whole season we've been going through, I've felt like Moses at times. It's like, we just have enough manna for today, I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. But God provides the manna for tomorrow. And that's His faithfulness. But Moses was uniquely equipped by all the things that he went through. Think of Saul, who became Paul. It was a raging Pharisee persecuting the church, and then Jesus apprehends him, blinds him, changes him, reveals himself to him. And he goes from Saul to Paul, who's uniquely equipped, both as a Pharisee and as a Roman citizen. Do you don't think that carried clout? It sure did. Took him all over the Roman world to spread the gospel. But he was also uniquely equipped to bring a Christology, an understanding of how the gospel worked in light of the law. Because this was a new covenant. And things were changing. And God used him to articulate the reality of no longer being under law, but being under grace. No longer living by the law, but by living by the Spirit. God used him. Most of our New Testament letters are written by Paul in a jail cell. And I think he's a man who knew about trials. But he could say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And he said that from a prison cell. God is going to use it all, folks. He's going to use it all from your makeup, how he made you, to your setup, the things he's brought into your life, to your shakeup. Yeah, he's going to use those and probably use those more powerfully than other things. Because God uses what we perceive as weakness to show his strength. And then your take-up. Your take-up. That moment where God says, I have called you to step into this by my grace. Because I've equipped you uniquely for this. I've been shaping you all these years, all these days for such a time as this. And by the way, I'm not going to just let you go. I will be with you. I'll be with you as you walk into this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Gospel sheep, people are shaped by God himself. Last of all, gospel people. Again, this is Captain Obvious as well. Gospel people are shaped by the gospel. Gospel people are shaped by the gospel. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only this, so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Yeah, again, we're back in God's word, but to account for all that our gracious God did to buy us back, to forgive us, to justify us, to reconcile us to himself. When we were the rebels, when we were the ones who were unfaithful to him, when we were the ones who shook our fist at him and abandoned him, he humbles himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to pursue us, to live as a man. He puts on flesh and lives under those limitations. You know why Jesus doesn't turn the stones to bread in front of Satan? First of all, first of all, he's saying, you know, I'm playing by the rules in becoming a human being. I'm not just going to zap food because I can. And I'm going to live under the rule of my Father as, and model that. But he, he lives under those limitations. He dies a horrible, unjust death on the cross, and then he rises from the dead. <laughs> he does so to make us his forever, redeemed that is bought back, justified, right standing before God, sanctified, that is set apart for Him, a new creation. He's changing our nature. Some call it being born again. His Holy Spirit comes to live within us, that He might live His life out in us. We are the new temple and a glorious future. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And it should shape our lives every day. God is for us. That is great news. And we should be leaning into the gratitude of that grace. News that God has graciously given to share with others. Grace that we can extend to others. Be kind. Love one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. But again, we're talking about renewing our minds. Being shaped by that. And the gospel has to shape it. And here's the thing, folks. I think before we go out and preach the gospel to anyone else, we need to preach it to ourselves. Remind ourselves of the goodness and the grace and the generosity of our God. It should be amazing to us, to quote a song. It should be amazing to us. It should shape us. It should shape how we see others who sometimes maybe we view as our enemies. 
But we were enemies of God, and he reached out to us. And we're going to talk about that next time I get the pulpit here. But the gospel should shape us. It should be this story, this truth that just never leaves us the same. It has to be good news to us every day. Every moment. Don't let it become old hat. Don't let it become just mere facts. Let it continue to transform you. We are gospel people. And that gospel should continue to shape and transform us. We're gospel people. Called to be shaped by God's word breathed out to us. We're gospel people who are made by God and God is still shaping us. You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship. We are gospel people and we need to continue to be shaped by that good news, by that gospel. Those are the voices we can let them go by. Those are the voices that we need to be listening to. God help us to do that. Let me pray for us. So Lord Jesus, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you that you have come into the world. We who are your enemies and you made a way for us to be not only reconciled to you, but transformed and to become your good news people, your gospel people. So help us to hear your voice, O oh Lord, through your word every day. And as we are listening, it is the sword of your spirit. So Holy Spirit, even as we listen and we read, let the, the word resonate in our hearts and our minds. Let it shape us and transform us. God, continue to shape us to men and women who are more like Jesus Christ. And I know that is your goal in us. Bring that good work to completion. And Lord, again, do not let us become cold-hearted. Do not let us become apathetic. But burn your gospel fire in us that it is a warmth. It is good news in our hearts that we can't contain and we just have to tell somebody. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for your goodness to us. And it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen.